Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Thank you all for being here for Political Rewind at the end of a really busy week, once again in the political world, both in Washington, of course, here in Georgia. We've got a lot to talk about. So let's get right to our panel. Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is here. He joins us every Monday and Friday. You read his column in the AJC on Wednesdays and Sundays, and he oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, Sam Owens, former attorney general of the state of Georgia. Prior to that, Cobb County uh, Commission chair um, is back with us today. Now he works with Denton's, the world's largest law firm. Mr. Owens, thanks for being here. My pleasure, sir. All right, Sam. Thanks. Patricia Murphy, syndicated columnist. You can read her in Roll Call, occasionally in the Daily Beast. She also, for fun, files for Garden and Gun. (laughs) And is now covering the state capitol for GPB's lawmakers. Hey, Patricia. Hi. Thank you. Yes, I have 162 jobs. I love them all. <laughs> Mom. Michael, yes. Michael Thurman, the chairman of the Cab County Commission, uh, is with us. You know Michael has been in – he's been in so many elected positions in the state that it's hard to even go through them all. But you know we're always happy to have you here, Michael. Thanks, Bill. Delighted to be with you all again. Yeah, and joining us from Washington, I'm really delighted to welcome Robert Costa, who, of course, is the host of Washington Week and uh, is um, is also, of course, national political correspondent for the Washington Post, uh, does commentary analysis for uh, MSNBC. You're a busy man, uh, Robert. I mean, you're all over the place. I saw you late last night on MSNBC, and here you are early, you know, today with us. Uh, a busy time in Washington, <laughs> yeah. to be sure, but I love Georgia politics. I've been down there quite a bit. My sister lives in Atlanta and Georgia. What a state right now on the national political scene. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Robert, we're really happy about the fact that we now have a two-hour political block on Friday nights here at the Georgia Public Broadcasting uh, statewide PBS network. Political Rewind airs from 7 to 8. We primarily talk about state news and national news through a Georgia lens. And then at 8 o'clock... We're so happy you now uh, come on the air so our viewers have two hours of politics. So we're happy about, very happy about that. Um, Robert, I'm going to bring you in the loop right away because Jim Galloway, Jim, I'm going to give you a chance to start this. But we have a man in the room with us right now, Michael Thurmond, who uh, was the subject of a story you filed uh, about an hour or so ago. And essentially what you're saying, we're going to tweak it a bit is that that um, Michael Thurmond may be on the verge of endorsing Michael Bloomberg for president. I think that's the way to say it, Jim. I think it's, yes, he is, <laughs> he is being wooed, if you will. And, uh, and Bloomberg is doing a lot of wooing down here right now. Uh, uh, Lucy McBath endorsed him this week. Uh, uh, very quickly after that audio of of uh, that 2015 audio yeah. of him defending uh, stop and frisk, and uh, uh, and and the can- uh, the Jen campaign Jordan. is also rolling out Jen Jordan, yep. the state senator from Atlanta, who who's really one of the one of the big up and comers in in, in the state legislature. Absolutely. G- uh, so, um, Michael Thurman, help us cl- clarify this a little bit. You are intrigued by the idea of throwing your support to Bloomberg. You're just not quite there. Is that a fair way to put it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, how can one not be intrigued by his candidacy? Non-traditional in so many aspects. But looking at the Democratic field as it now stands, uh, it's clear that uh, Michael Bloomberg will be a player uh, throughout the primary season. And I've studied his policies and his positions, particularly around uh, jobs and economic development. And uh, I think there's a tremendous upside opportunity. However, I'm still in those discussions uh, and look forward to continuing to conversate and and engage campaign staffers about Georgia, uh, particularly about the South and how we can move our nation forward. Robert, uh, it's been fascinating for us here in Georgia to watch as people begin 
to jump onto the, the Bloomberg bandwagon. And I suppose some of this comes out of here in Georgia, comes out of the result in New Hampshire, where we know that there are any number of Democrats who are a little worried about uh, about uh, Bernie Sanders' uh, campaign. Uh, give us your thoughts on all that. Mayor Bloomberg's campaign, based on my reporting, sees a wide opening in the Democratic race to try to consolidate not only moderate voters, but African-American voters throughout the South. And they're looking especially at Super Tuesday states, states like Alabama and in Arkansas and in North Carolina, and of course down the line in Georgia. And they're saying to themselves, if Biden, the former vice president, somehow falls away, if he can't pull it together in the South Carolina primary in late February, there's going to be a major opening in early March for Bloomberg to step in and say, Mayor Buttigieg is too young, Vice President Biden can't pull together his campaign. Senator Klobuchar doesn't have what it takes to run a national campaign. It's now the time for the mayor. And that's why uh, so many people throughout this country on the Democratic side are intrigued by his candidacy. But he is clouded at times by his political uh, record in New York City. He has drawn uh, particular attention for his stop and frisk policy. He is trying to assure African Americans and other minority groups that he is uh, with them, that he stands in solidarity with them, but there's still some challenges on that front. Sam, I suppose it is no surprise that uh, Lucy McBath endorsed Bloomberg earlier this week. He was a major supporter of her run against Karen Handel. He put four and a half million dollars into ads uh, on her behalf. And of course, they share a, an abiding concern about passing gun safety regulations. So in many ways, that was sort of a gimme for the Bloomberg campaign, wasn't it? It, it was, but, you know, frankly, the Bloomberg commercials are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you look at the professionalism, if you look at the themes, um, yes, he has the dollars to run the campaign, but but the dollars are well spent. So uh, having some African-American leadership come forward to support him at the same time, I think is invaluable to, to his uh, potential success. You know, Patricia, and then I want to hear Robert on this as well. One of the things that, that Jim and I have talked about on the show on a number on a couple of occasions is there's an interesting difference between, I think, the way New York media perceives Bloomberg and the way the rest of us who are out of, in various parts of the country perceive him. And part of that has to do with the fact that the New York reporters watched him as a mayoral candidate over the years and quite often describe him as a little bit clumsy on the campaign trail, not very good at retail politics. So when Sam talks about the TV spots, they're, they're, I think everybody agrees they're terrific. Um, but I wonder how many of the folks who are going to endorse him here in Georgia, like possibly Mike Thurman, have actually seen what he's like when he's out there with uh, mingling with the people. Well, it's no secret that Mike Bloomberg does not have a sparkling personality, <laughs> <laughs> but he's not running on that. And these ads that are so strong, frankly, do not feature his face and his voice very much. It really is the stories of women who have lost children to gun violence. Um, and I think he will continue to hit that theme. I think he'll hit the climate theme, um, as well as uh, kind of his theme on, on competence. Um, but I think in terms of not only for our African-American leaders, but Jen Jordan is a huge get for him because if you're a suburban woman in Atlanta, yeah. Jen Jordan is all over your Facebook Yeah, she's feed. your star. She really is. Robert, what about uh, uh, Bloomberg as a campaigner? What we have seen so far is a pretty disciplined campaign, a campaign that has not participated in Iowa or the New Hampshire primary. He is giving 15-minute stump speeches. He is surrounding himself with all different parts of the Democratic Party on stage. Uh, but as others have discussed, this is a television-heavy campaign. And in an age when politics has become almost entirely nationalized, the Bloomberg campaign may be onto something. Uh, other campaigns who are talking to me every day at, here at The Post and for PBS they're saying they're nervous about uh, Mayor Bloomberg because he has all the money in the world to spend. And know who else is paying attention to Mayor Bloomberg's campaign? My sources inside the Trump White House. They see a Democratic Party that was maybe moving towards Senator Sanders or Vice President Biden. They were ready to run against a Democratic Socialist or an establishment figure. And now they have a, a fellow New Yorker in Michael Bloomberg hovering there on the horizon. Yeah. And Jim, 
he's got the money to compete head to head with uh, with President Trump's campaign, which is raking in untold multi-million dollars. Uh, and, and he also knows how to fight dirty with Trump as well. And he's shown right, that. And, right. He's, he's, he's getting under his skin with with uh, with with going after his hair, his weight, his 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 uh, his uh, 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 tan lotion or whatever that is. His height. <laughs> but uh, his height. But 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 let me, let me go back to something uh, you said earlier, Bill, because I think you're, this is really important. Is you're right. The, the difference between the New York media and us is the New York media looks at uh, Michael Bloomberg and they see a a fellow who hung on to stop and frisk far too long. Uh, had to uh, he apologized for it in November. When when you say Michael Bloomberg down here down in the South, you 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 are talking about gun control. Yeah, that that is Michael Bloomberg's uh, identity in 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 the South as a as a as somebody who is going after gun violence. So is you've uh, the 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 identity is a second is related to the Second Amendment. So with that in mind, I want to uh, Michael. Why don't you jump in before we do a play of soundbite? I want to use. And the other thing is, this is a race about Donald Trump. And the ideological positions and or records of the Democratic opposition is important, but more important is electability. Who best positions the party to take on Trump in November? And that's, I think, is Bloomberg's strongest points. But let's not count out Joe Biden. Uh, He soon will be in Nevada and South Carolina. And if he's going to re-energize his campaign, this is when it will occur. Yeah, I mean, in a, the next thing I want to talk about, by the way, is Landmark Communications. Mark Roundtree's firm has just released a poll for WSB-TV, which uh, does have presidential uh, numbers in it. Let, but before we get to that, I want to share, uh, have all of you comment to one extent or another on the way Bloomberg is dealing with this leaked tape, which we talked about to a, a great extent yesterday on the show. And yesterday we played comments that Bloomberg made in Chattanooga in which he clearly was not prepared to answer reporter questions about what he had to say about the the apparently disparaging remarks he made about uh, crime in the African-American community and how to treat African-Americans. He was in Houston last night and he's changed and refined how he talks about stop and frisk. And I think it's important to play it and then find out from all of you if you think he's on the right track now. I'm a leader who can be honest about my mistakes. And I believe that when you make a mistake, you must learn from it and next time do the right thing. And when I was first, when I first took office, families in New York City were losing their children to gun violence at an alarming rate. And my focus was clear. I wanted to save lives and respond with urgency to the crisis that was plaguing our communities. And while many of the ways we tried to reduce gun violence and invest in communities were right, and we reduced murder by 50%, there is one aspect and approach that I deeply regret, the abuse of a police practice called stop and frisk. I defended it looking back for too long because I didn't understand then the unintended pain it was causing to young black and brown families and their kids. I should have acted sooner and faster to stop it. I didn't, and for that I apologized. Uh, Michael Thurman, you are considered one of the most highly respected leaders in the African-American community in Georgia. Is Bloomberg getting to the right message now? Absolutely. Uh, The fact that you can acknowledge a mistake uh, to show contrition, consider that, uh, con- compare that to President Trump after the acquittal, who is yet to acknowledge that what he did was wrong, even though other Republican senators have pointed it out. But more than the apology, you look at a person's record. And his record of creating jobs, reducing crime, uh, opening up the doors of economic opportunity are real. And they did occur. And it's a process, it's a journey. Uh, but I think he's moving in the right direction, and it will bode well for him. At the end of the day, people want authentic men and women in office. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to align oneself with every issue that I may hold dear. But at the end of the day, you want people who are honest, who are sincere, who, when they make mistakes, will own up to those mistakes. I've had to do it in public office. Anyone 
who holds a public office will make strategic philosophical mistakes. The question is, how or if did you learn from them, and how will that inform your future decision-making? Robert, is he doing it at the right time? In other words, we still are early in the primary process. Is Bloomberg finally finding the right way to talk about stop and frisk? It's going to be difficult for him, but he has a lot of time and money on his hands to try to make the case to African-American voters and Latino voters, but particularly African-American voters in the South, that he stands with them. And he, he has a political network second to none in the sense that he has allies. We've seen throughout state legislatures, throughout the, the House of Representatives, people like Lucy McBath who know him, as you said, from his gun control efforts. What's interesting to me about Bloomberg's challenge right now is Mayor Buttigieg is also trying to make inroads based on his own police record in South Bend with uh, black voters and say that he stands with them, that he can win them over in a place even like South Carolina or Georgia. And so Bloomberg sees the weakness of Biden's campaign as an opportunity. But at the same time, Bloomberg's making his own play. Senator Klobuchar, a former prosecutor, is trying to, to recover her own standing with African-American voters, so is Mayor Buttigieg. So there's a lot of competition. And at all of that's happening in the center part of the Democratic Party. Senator Bernie Sanders, who I've interviewed recently, has spent a lot of time learning the lessons of 2016 when he, his campaign fizzled in South Carolina. He has built up a much better political network and community of support this time around. And so he's looking to, to be more on the left, but to still win over African-American support. That is the core of the Democratic Party right now. It's older African-American women and men, but really African-American women who may decide this nomination in some of the most critical states in the primary process. Sam, let me just get you in. And I know uh, Patricia and Jim, you want to jump back in as well. But, but Sam... When you hear Democrats like Michael Thurmond uh, talk about redemption, talk about people being willing to apologize and learn from their errors, I, you know, I also hear in that we have a field of candidates, none of which has stood out so far as being somebody you can really take on Trump. Maybe Bloomberg is the guy who can. And maybe we're willing to be a little bit more forgiving of a Mike Bloomberg, given that we think he has such potential out there. Do you hear that at all as a Republican? Look, you know, Patricia used the word competence. I think when you think of Mike Bloomberg, when you think about the job he did as mayor of New York, when you look at the commercials, you got to think of the word competence. And I think for many folks that aren't going to vote for our president, competence must be, you know, in all likelihood is the major trait that you're looking for. It's not whether you agree with them on all issues. It's whether they can beat the incumbent. Do, do you think among among Republicans that that Bloomberg would be more ex, uh, acceptable than Biden as an uh, alternative to Trump? I don't think most people, frankly, think Biden's going to recover. Yeah, I don't see him as having a a future. <laughs> and if you assume that he keeps sputtering. Bloomberg's the only one left. You know, Patricia, we thought the big story coming in today's show was we were going to be able to say that Michael Thurman was endorsing Michael Bloomberg for president. Sounds like Sam Olins is endorsing <laughs> Mike Bloomberg. Well, this is quite the coalition that somebody like Bloomberg literally needs. He is going to need the support of Republicans, moderate Republicans, who are not on board with this president, um, with his demeanor, uh, with the way he has run his administration. So I think there's a very real opening uh, among Republicans uh, for a Democrat to come in, somebody like a Bloomberg, somebody like a Biden. Um, and the question is, the anxiety I hear among those Republicans and also among Democratic voters is who can beat this man? Who can do it? Um, and Joe Biden has not shown he has not shown uh, the ability to do that literally. Um, and so when you start to look through some of these polls at the crosstabs, um, Bloomberg is really coming up, and a lot of that is because I think he's he appears to have the capacity um, to to maybe do something about Donald Trump. I want to talk about Biden just for a minute. Um, Robert, uh, you know uh, certainly that yesterday uh, Biden had a, or a phone call, like about a 13-plus minute phone call with his um, backers in which he was very energetic. He was very forceful. He essentially said, I'll be damned if we're going to lose this nomination. Things haven't changed. Uh, and, and here's a quote. I think it's going to be fairly hard for people like Pete Buttigieg to go south. I think it's going to be hard for Amy Klobuchar. They're good people to go south. 
But but Biden really has it's it's all in on South Carolina, isn't it? It is all in strategically. The, the challenge he faces is money yeah. and not just momentum. Does he have the money to build a Super Tuesday operation? If he needs a big win in South Carolina, in the view of most of his rivals' campaigns, because they say, look, even if he wins South Carolina, it has to be by a big margin because he needs to bounce going into Super Tuesday, which is just a few days later in early March. And if it's a narrow victory or even a second place, in South Carolina, it's going to be difficult for Vice President Biden to compete with Mayor Bloomberg across all of these Super Tuesday states because he's not spending the amount of money. And we look at how much advertising matters. People say, oh, TV ads don't really matter as much anymore. Michael Bloomberg, in just the span of a few weeks, has gone from single digits, low single digits in the national polls to being double digits, 13, 14, 15, 16 percent in some surveys. And that shows you the power of advertising and, in a sense, the power of the Bloomberg campaign. And Michael Thurmond, if in fact there is a collapse by Biden in South Carolina, all of those Georgia Democrats who have lined up to support his campaign, including Mayor Bottoms uh, and others, may suddenly be looking in a different direction, which is why it's interesting that you appear to be on the verge of getting out front as an African-American elected official in endorsing Bloomberg. If I can, let me respond in a more personal way around the issue of gun violence and safety and and homicide. My most troubling uh, experience I've had as DeKalb County CEO, not as a politician, but as just a man, and particularly an African-American man, is that we've seen a huge increase in the number of homicides in DeKalb County. The death toll all over this nation, not just in DeKalb, but Atlanta and all through urban America, continues to grow. I would hope that out of this uh, discussion, uh, this criticism of Bloomberg, that should be a national conversation, that all the Democrat and Republican candidates, including President Trump, should engage in as to how we can intervene and reduce violence, particularly in communities of color, and low-income, economically disadvantaged communities. The good thing is Bloomberg has brought the issue to the forefront, and rather than criticizing those who attempt to address it, even if they fail, what we ought to do is use it as a pivot to engage this crisis that's consuming uh, black America. Uh, uh, You know, Bill, I was uh, talking to Howard Franklin. He's a senior advisor uh, uh, in Georgia for the for the Bloomberg campaign, and, and a I, frequent panelist on yeah, the show. Right, right. And I, I asked him how he how he how he answered people who had questions about stop and frisk, and he he, he had two points. Uh, number one, he says, you know, when you're when you're when you're mayor of a huge huge city like New York, uh, you, you're going to have be doing multiple things to to to, to solve problems, and uh, a, a mayor ought to be cut some, uh, uh, given some grace when it comes when it comes to this. But he also pointed out that this is this is we are struggling with trying to find the balance between safety, public safety, and the protection of civil rights everywhere, not just in New York. But uh, I mean, look, it it, uh, it was only two uh, uh, for for thirty years we had a red dog unit in the Atlanta Police Department Absolutely. that was extremely aggressive. And it was only in 2011 uh, when Kasim Reed ordered it dis- disbanded. Uh, Joe Biden has had to express his regret for uh, for 1990s drug legislation that that packed uh, prisons full of uh, African American males. All right, let's do this. Um, Great point, Jim. Uh, one last comment. I know Robert Costa, you've got to move on because you've got a show to get ready for tonight. Before you do, I wanna, I'm going to throw out two questions to Michael Thurman that Robert, you might be interested. Number one, uh, Michael, are we going to hear soon about your potential endorsement? How, are you close to deciding Bloomberg's your candidate? Well, I would like to talk to the candidate himself. Gotcha. And once I'm able to do that, and as Jim and others pointed out, right now you know him from TV. And at the end of the day, I'm old school. It's a matter of looking a person in the eye and understanding their level of commitment. Is it just uh, commercials? Do you have a meeting set up with him? Uh, Not yet. It's being discussed. And finally, uh, how close are you to deciding yes or no on running for that second Senate seat? Well, qualifying is in uh, mid-March. I I met with um, Reverend Warnock, wished him well, and hopefully we'll 
as I've said on multiple occasions, I love what I do as CEO. <laughs> I'm doing as CEO with making progress, but we'll allow that to play out. All right, Robert, I was hoping that maybe Thurman would say something that would give you a, an extra story for uh, the, the Washington Post today, but he's not quite there yet. <laughs> well, his answers actually intersect yeah. because you, when, when I'm here in Washington at the Post or getting ready for the show at PBS, it's clear that Georgia is now on everybody's minds. And they're thinking about it as a general election state. They see how close Stacey Abrams came in her gubernatorial run. They see two competitive Senate seats here in 2020. They look at the suburbs and the exurbs and some of the towns around Atlanta, places like Lucy McBath's congressional district, where she won in a somewhat Republican area by running as a Democrat on gun control in some parts. And, and they see opportunity, opportunity for the Democrats to come back in the South in a state that President Trump won in a significant way. And that puts Georgia on the map with two Senate seats, a presidential campaign in 2020. And it's going to likely come down to those Latino voters, the Asian American voters, and of course, African American voters, not just the white voters in Georgia. And that makes it part in 2020 in this turbulent time of nationalism and populism and changing demographics one of the most important states, if not the most important state on the political map. And it's all going to come down to, can someone like Mayor Bloomberg be the one to stitch together a coalition, or will it be a Republican like President Trump again to win the state? Well, Robert, thank you for those comments. And thank you so much for joining us again. We're very excited that uh, we're now your lead-in from 7 to 8 on, uh, on GPB-TV, uh, and you from 8 to 9 on Washington Week, which is, am I right, 50th year on the air. Is that correct? 50 plus, started in 1967. I mean, that was long before media, you were born, there. Robert. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Well, that is true. <laughs> thanks, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we'll see you again you. sometime. Bye-bye. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, let's do this. Let's get a break in, and then I really want to get you all into a conversation about Landmark Communications poll, which just was published yesterday. It's a WSB-TV poll on what the presidential sweepstakes look like here in Georgia. We'll do that in just a moment. We have got another great panel in the studio today. I feel really lucky if you've been listening to the show this week, the last few days, we've just had these terrific panels and we've got them again today. Jim Galloway is here, Patricia Murphy, Sam Olins, uh, Michael Thurman, in some ways, the man of the hour. Uh, given the questions about whether he's about to endorse Michael Bloomberg or not. But you know what? Let's move past that story because uh, we gave it a lot of time. Um, Jim Galloway, uh, Mark Roundtree, Landmark Communications, has always been considered a, a, a reputable pollster. His numbers are usually pretty good. He is a, a Republican. He is a Republican mm -hmm. consultant, and yet his polling doesn't really reflect any of that. He polled for WSB-TV this week. He went. He actually got a sample of 500 people who he polled after the New Hampshire primary, which I thought was particularly interesting. Here's what he got. 32 percent support Joe Biden, Georgia Democrats. 14 um, percent support Bloomberg. And he's the closest. Well, 14.2 percent. So it's about the same between Bloomberg and Bernie Sanders. Um, but some of the crosstabs are interesting, and we'll talk about those, but just in general, Biden really leads the field by big numbers, even after the collapse in South in uh, New Hampshire. Yeah, and 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 what uh, you're leaving out here is uh, that coming in at number two is undecided. Well, that's right. That's <laughs> and, a, thank you, and and, right. and that's very that's that's very important. Yeah, twenty five per twenty six percent. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, if you look at the crosstabs uh, on demographic. Across towns, uh, Biden is pulling 40 percent uh, of African-American votes, uh, which is about what he was uh, about how he registered r registers uh, nationwide. But but um, I'm looking at Bloomberg and he's pulling 15 percent already. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting, Patricia. You're nodding at that. Well, I think it says that this that voters, even African-American voters, remain very persuadable at this point. Um, and I think if you look at what's happening in South Carolina, uh, which will precede Georgia, Tom Steyer, the billionaire from California, is running second in South Carolina. Yep. He has spent 14 million dollars on TV ads alone. He has 102 
staffers on the ground there. Um, Bloomberg is not on the ballot in South Carolina. So I think that that Steyer performance is indicative of what could happen or what does happen when somebody gets into these later states with a whole lot of money and a very large ground game. Um, and because Bloomberg's not there, I think Steyer is a, is a very good approximation for that. And the other piece of information in South Carolina that's very important is that Jim Clyburn, who's the um, House Majority Leader, um, or rather the House Whip, super important, most powerful voice in the state, I would say, especially among African-Americans, has not endorsed anybody yet. He is an old friend of Joe Biden's. He says that he knows who he's going to vote for, but he doesn't know if he'll endorse because he wants that person to win. He doesn't want to endorse a loser, well. <laughs> literally. And so he hasn't <laughs> said exactly what's going to happen. That's very t telling. You I know, think. Sam, when you look at these numbers, uh, let's just hypothesize that Biden doesn't do as well in South Carolina as he hopes to. He's at 32 percent. And after that, nobody uh, except, as Jim points out, is uh, above uh, 15 percent uh, other than undecided. You can understand why there might be an opening for a uh, for a Bloomberg, given that voters don't seem to either know or have much enthusiasm for anybody else in the field so far. You know, if I were a Democrat, my biggest fear is um, a potential failure for them to come together for the general election. I I'm not sure how you get Bernie's folks and Biden's or Bloomberg's folks to work constructively against Trump, even though they despise the president. I, I, I have um, covered some Bernie rallies. I always ask, would you vote for Joe Biden? A hundred percent they would. If it's against Trump, they'll do it. But you could but you could still have a, 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 a situation like we saw in New Hampshire. In uh, in twenty sixteen Bernie polled twenty eight percent of the vote to Hillary Clinton seventy one percent. If he can hang on to that twenty twenty eight percent and and Biden, Bloomberg, uh, uh, Buttigieg and and Klobuchar divvy up the, the centrist vote, then then he could he could win a plurality here. Yeah. Uh, but I would one thing I would point you on this poll. Take a look at if if you've got the numbers in front of you. Take take a look at at the, the Metro Atlanta. Yeah, this is roughly split between voters from Metro Atlanta and voters outside that. Mm -hmm. And um, in Metro Atlanta, all four candidates: Buttigieg uh, or, or Biden, Bloomberg, uh, and Sanders. They're all all three. They're all in this in within the margin of error. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, Michael Thurman, what do you see when you look at the the, the, the race as as uh, Roundtree has, has seen it in his polling? Well, the fact that Joe Biden continues to hold a lead is a testament to a large degree to Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms' influence. Uh, she was out early. Uh, she's campaigned for him. And his numbers will continue to hold up as long as she continues to support him, particularly in metro Atlanta. Otherwise, the race is up for grabs. There's no question about it. And the candidates have not yet fully engaged here in Georgia. There is an opening for Bloomberg. Uh, I'm, I think the Barney Sanders, and I've watched his campaign, the one thing you, that you really notice about his, his uh, supporters is that they are extremely loyal. You can't move them. They are Barney now, tomorrow, next week. So he'll have the staying power to go forward. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I believe that uh, if Bloomberg can actually get beyond the TV and get on the ground, at the end of the day, that's who will win. Who can create the ground game in Georgia that will allow them to peak at the appropriate time? And coming out of Super Tuesday, I think Georgia will be a critical state. And the reason because Georgia is more than just any other state. Uh, when you think about African-American voters, However, Georgia goes, sends a message all across this country uh, because of the history of the civil rights movement, the profile of Atlanta. Winning Georgia or winning a majority of the black votes in Georgia will resonate throughout the remainder of the primary. Sam, you're nodding at that. No, I, I, I agree. And, um, you know, I just disagree a little bit with Patricia. Um, I have a hard time picking thinking that these young followers of Bernie are going to support a billionaire the more that he criticizes the billionaire. 
Well, I didn't ask about Bloomberg. (laughs) I I did ask about Biden because they are so ride or die with Bernie Sanders. And so my question to them was, um, what's most important to you uh, other than loving Bernie Sanders? And they said, we just got to get Donald Trump out of there. So the obvious follow up before Bloomberg came on the scene was, well, would you vote for Joe Biden? And they I was shocked, actually. They all said yes. I'm so sure I could have found some I agree with notes. Patricia. I think Trump will coalesce the Democrats and independents and moderate Republicans who don't like Trump. So what's interesting about that, I think, Jim, is that in 2016, the Bernie voters did not want to vote for Hillary Clinton. And, and she believes, of course, that it could have cost her the election and the fact that he stayed in so long. The difference between then and now is we've had three plus years of Donald Trump as president. So the people who are supporting Sanders may feel much more strongly than they did back then about him not being president. Right, right. I mean, <laughs> and if you remember in Philadelphia, I mean, I mean, Sanders, Sanders, uh, his, his delegates were carrying the fight even to the to the very last day. Yeah. Sam, I, here's inter- I, I, you know, these cross tabs are interesting. So not surprisingly, in in the landmark poll, Uh, Biden gets about 37 plus percent of the voters, 65 and older, whereas Bernie Sanders gets like 8 percent of it. So that's that that isn't surprising, I think, in many ways. But here, I'm a little surprised by this. 18 to 39 year olds, 26 percent say they'd vote for Joe Biden and uh, just about an equal number say they'd vote for Bernie Sanders. I don't think we've seen other states where there's been much energy for Biden among the younger about among younger voters, and I don't think we saw it certainly in New Hampshire entrance polls. No, I, th- I think that's uh, very unusual. I, I certainly agree with you. I just find it amazing that the political leadership of both parties is so old. Hmm. I, I, I find that. Just astounding <laughs> that, you know, you know, I mean, where's the future leadership? And what about the old people sitting in the studio who are commenting? Patricia is the only one in here who, you know, can still claim to be kind of young. Well, we're, <laughs> we're all out of our 30s except for Patricia. But, but you know, I, I, I just find it astounding. You know, you're either 78 or 79 or 76. And, you know, when, when I think of the, the job of president – and you see, for instance, what President Obama looked like on day one and what President Obama looked like eight years later. And then I think of Bernie's health. Or Trump. I think also these are these are people who are known quantities. When you have such a gigantic field, the name ID is going to carry you very, very far. Um, so Donald Trump, famous. Bernie Sanders has already run. Joe Biden's been around forever. Um, so I think the name ID is pl- – and people – feel like they want somebody they trust. And I think that over time, their staying power has led to some trust among their voters. Um, but for the 18 to 39, you're going to have some young moms in there. If you look at the women's crosstab here, which I think is super important, especially we know that the suburban women are why Lucy McBath won her seat back. That was a huge get. And it was only because of suburban women. And Bloomberg's number two. He's yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um- um, if, if I could answer Sam on that, you know, why, why, are, why, are, why are we seeing so many old people? Uh, at the, I, I think it's because your, 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 your candidates always lag behind the voter pool. And one of the more interesting things that we've, we've uh, come across in the last uh, week or so is uh, taking a look at who are the new voters in Georgia. And, and uh, I think we added something like 330,000. We're up at about 7.2 7. 2 million, million registered voters. And 31% are, uh, are, I think, 18 through 29. Uh, uh, and that's, that's, that, that they jumped by a third in just a year. Meanwhile, your, your over 60 voters have declined from 29% last year to uh, I think 19, uh, 25 to 19 percent. Uh, we're, we're dying off pretty quickly. Yeah, Sam, you're, oh, go ahead, Michael. Well, and another reason it skewers in terms of candidates towards uh, senior citizens or older candidates is the wealth factor. Uh, yeah. Look at the candidates running for the U.S. Senate. They're all millionaires yeah. or, or multimillionaires in the, in the case of, of uh, Senator Perdue, and that's also true of the presidential candidates. You have to, in this environment, uh, have significant wealth, quite frankly, to be competitive. 
or those donor, those old donor networks as well. And I think the Democratic leadership of the future we've seen in this race, I think Cory Booker will be an important factor for Democrats. I think Kamala Harris will be an important factor. They just did. They do not have the donor base right now to, to take them any distance. Sam, you're not actively involved, I don't think, anymore in Republican Party politics. You've taken a step back from it. Uh, but when you look at the AJC's reporting on the new profile of registered voters, uh, what would you tell your Republican friends about what it means to the future of the party here? You know, I think the governor made the right decision when he sought to increase potential suburban votes when he was choosing his Kelly selection for, yeah. for Senate. Yeah. Uh, if the Republican Party cannot bring back those suburbanites – going to be a pretty sad time. Um, all right, let's do this. Let's get another break out of the way. When we come back, we've had some interesting endorsements in the uh, Senate race. We've uh, got some interesting developments in terms of budget talks down at the Capitol. We'll address those things when we come back on Political Rewind. Patricia Murphy, you're down at the state capitol watching uh, the legislature for uh, lawmakers this session. So I'll start with you on this. Yesterday, we saw some headlines that said, gee, it looks like during this recess that they've taken to work on the budget, uh, maybe uh, there's a better mood between Kemp and uh, lawmakers. Uh, And then we see this morning that, that the House... Budget writers have already started to claw back money that Kemp wanted to take away, especially from agencies like uh, Department of Agriculture for food safety inspectors, uh, give money back to agencies that were talking about having to furlough people. I'm, I'm not getting the feeling that it's all love and, and uh, warm fuzziness down there yet. Uh, well, I did ask somebody. I said, oh, I saw that. So Kelly Farr is the governor's budget chief. He did go in and actually apologize to lawmakers mm-hmm. for not being um, more helpful when they were trying to ask him questions about the details of the budget. He said, well, I'm just here to talk about my own office's budget, not the state budget. And they were very frustrated with that answer. Yeah. And I think their attempts to get more information from the governor were, um, in their opinion, uh, not responded to in any helpful way. Um, and so uh, Kelly Farr did apologize for that. And I think that that was important uh, for to have an olive branch out to lawmakers. Now, at the same time, as they've taken this time off of being in session, they have had on some days six, eight, ten different budget committee hearings going on at the subcommittee level and asking very detailed questions, very detailed, and getting detailed answers. So I think they feel like they're getting the information they need. Um, However, once they get the answers about where are these cuts planned, they say, okay, well, that, that's not going to happen, yeah, actually. We're going to get in there and make some changes. We, we should say that Ralston was particularly offended when that budget direct, when, when Kelly Farr would not answer the questions that legislators Very offended wanted. because these are, this is a budget uh, that they all just passed last January. Yeah, and the governor the... has proposed, in, his, in, in, his, in their opinion, clawing back the increases that they had put in let, let me Let me quickly, Jim, and I know you want to jump in. Here's what uh, Governor Kemp told some reporters yesterday about the mood among the, the down at the Capitol. Well, look, this is, this is part of the process. The speaker's got his priorities. We've worked together for a long time. We're going to get it worked out. Uh, you know, people are supposed to, people are up here to fight for their district and their values. Um, but there's no doubt what I'm fighting for. It's exactly what I ran on and what I told people I was going to do. But also understand, you know, we got a legislative process, and they have thoughts and views, and we look forward to working with them on that. What's What's interesting, Bill, is that the the uh, the, the the two areas where where lawmakers uh, pushed back yesterday, uh, they are they are uh, under the budgets of. Uh, of, of people who are also elected statewide and have their own power base. Mm-hmm. Uh, these aren't these aren't direct employees of 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 the of the governor. You had uh, Gary Black get up in front at one of the early hearings. Ag and, commissioner, uh, ag commissioner, and saying, "I'm going to have to cut back on food inspection. I'm going to have to uh, uh, those duties are going to have to be uh, carried by by federal inspectors, which which means they're not going to get done nearly as often." Then in, in the PSC, you had uh, Chuck Chuck Eaton get up and and. 
and say, number one, PSC employees would have to be furloughed five days over the over over the next six months to 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 meet these cuts. And also, he says the cuts were jeopardizing their 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 uh, ability to retain and hire. Uh, inspectors and lawyers associated with uh, Plant Vogel and the uh, the construction of those two nuclear reactors. Yeah. So Mike, that's that's pretty important. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Michael. You obviously were down there. Some budget fights between Murphy and Zell. At Back one to point? the future. Back to the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested. Here's one of the things I found interesting: is there seem to be two ways to spin how agency heads are talking about the cuts in their own departments. On one side, you have people who may be trying to dramatize how severely they'll be hurt in an effort to win back some of the money. On the other hand, you have some criticizing the agency heads who are downplaying the uh, impact on their own uh, departments because they want to be uh, in, in, in good graces of Governor Cannon. <laughs> well, each administration is different. Of course, I worked in the Zell Mill administration as head of DFACS, yeah. and it was the third rail if you— disagree with the governor's recommendation in any form or fashion. Uh, what you have to be careful of, even if you're a constitutional officer that Jim referenced, is the governor can do great damage to you uh, as a constitutional officer, not even to mention a department head. And we saw that play out during the deal administration. And so any department head who seeks to advocate for spending or increases spending runs a risk of running into head first into the governor's uh, anger and, 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 and during the during the deal tenure, you know who one of those uh, one of those uh, officials were. It was it was uh, Secretary of State Brian Kemp whose yeah. whose yes. budget just he lost got, money. He he got he he got decimated. Yep yep. Uh, Sam Owens, let's change the subject. Uh, you, you, I'm curious how you're watching the uh, Senate race number two, as we call it, unfold on the Republican side this week. Doug Collins won the endorsement of Mike Huckabee popular governor of Arkansas, Republican governor of Arkansas, and I think it's fair to call him a uh, pretty popular figure in national Republican Party circles. So he endorses Collins a day after Newt Gingrich uh, endorses uh, Kelly Leffler. Uh, so the battle continues between those two. So I, I think the interesting issue is President Trump's comment that he was looking to resolve the issue and there's a lot of chatter about the president looking for a position for Doug Collins. Uh, and I think that sooner than later, that discussion will ensue and it will either come to terms or you'll have them all in that jungle primary. Um, you know, look, from my perspective, they're both very good people. They're, they're both very good people. And uh, I think it's unfortunate that they're currently running against each other. Um, but but let me just throw out to you, and, and I think the CEO will totally agree with me. People pay a hell of a lot of attention to who endorses who, and it's irrelevant. <laughs> you know, John Q. Voter doesn't care, frankly, who endorses who. The press cares. The political folks care. The average voter doesn't care. I think that's a really uh, smart observation, and I – I think you're probably right, Galloway. Well, I, I, I will with with one wrinkle here. <laughs> they care about what Jim Galloway says. No, 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 absolutely not. I can I can attest to that. They do not care about that. But what this, to my mind, uh, this is this is this this the the race between Leffler and and Collins is going to be fought out on Fox News. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 Newt Gingrich is a Fox News personality, yeah. as Doug Collins has been. Yeah, but 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 you know that's a big spillover. You know that's like saying you're going to spend your money on a state senate on a U.S. Senate race in Georgia on national advertising on NBC or something. I mean, you're reaching well, a much don't bigger they really audience. Campaign into an audience of one. Isn't this entire campaign uh, about one man right. and who he will vote for or support? The rest of it is important, but at the end of the day, it's going to come down to who Trump supports. Yeah, and one of the endorsements that I do think matters, not to voters, but in this battle of who is Donald Trump going to see as the strongest of these two candidates, um, Marjorie Dannenfeltzer and the Susan B. Anthony list, which is the uh, pro-life Republican group of women, um, came out for Kelly Loeffler. And to me, that is super important because uh, 
Dannenfelser has come out of the Trump administration to go back to run that group again. So she is a, on the inside with the Trump team. Um, and Newt is also on the inside of the Trump team because mm. his wife, of course, is uh, yeah, ambassador to the, to the Vatican. Yeah. So um, you see the people coming out for Leffler and they're very D.C. centric voices close to the White House. And I, of course, nobody knows what that really means for what's going on in the president's head. Uh, but what the Republicans, I really think, cannot afford is to have both of these candidates in the jungle primary on Election Day. That's a huge problem. Which is, you go back to what Sam Olin says, is that you think at some point President Trump has signaled he may want to try to broker a deal that would pull, he's not going to pull Leffler out of the race, Doug Collins out of the race. Many Republicans would like to have one Republican on yeah. Election Day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, Mike Thurman, on the other side of this, in what we call Senate race number one, the Democratic race for uh, to, for the right to challenge David Perdue in the fall, um, we've said on the show a couple of times, you kind of feel sorry in a way for candidates, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, whose campaigns are being so buried by news of impeachment, news of Senate race number two, all the other things. We hear very little, and we haven't talked as much as we will, but should have probably by now, about Tomlinson uh, and her campaign, Sarah Riggs Amico and her campaign, um, and uh, uh, John Ossoff. Um, but Tomlinson did, along with Raphael Warnock in the other Senate race, did just win an endorsement of a major national progressive organization, Democracy for America. But Olin says endorsements don't matter. So does that matter? Well, only the ones that generate uh, campaign contributions as a result. <laughs> there you of, go. Those there you matter. go. There you and, go. And uh, to that extent, it did. But, you know, I had a great conversation with Sarah Amico this week. She's a very talented, smart lady. And uh, I was uh, impressed just by her commitment to public service. But it's early still. And, you know, for anyone who can predict what November 2020 is going to look like, who knows? Uh, it changes by the moment, if not by the, this millisecond. All right. So we just had to be prepared to put on the seatbelts and enjoy the ride. Hey, guys, do we have enough time for the uh, Stacey Abrams? Let's listen to Stacey, Ab uh, Stacey Abrams talking to Seth Meyers the other night. I don't need to tell you that your name is often bandied about as a potential uh, VP pick for pretty much every candidate who's still in the race. Uh, I know you won't uh, say if you have a preference for that, but do you look forward to the possibility of debating Mike, Pen uh, Mike Pence? I think it could be a very lovely experience. <laughs> yeah, it would be an enjoyable evening. <laughs> I have a lot of pent-up aggression. Yes. And um, some stark disagreements that I think could really lead to a vigorous debate. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just thought it would be fun to end the show with Stacey Abrams. I have a lot of pent-up aggression. Don't we all? Yeah, we're just about out of time for today's show. So uh, Patricia Murphy, Jim Galloway, Michael Thurmond, and Sam Mullins, thank you so much for a terrific conversation today. We look forward, uh, Michael Thurmond, to hearing you in the weeks ahead or days ahead making news, depending on what happens with you and Michael Bloomberg. In the meantime, we will be back for a more Political Rewind. Galloway will join me on Monday for yet another show. Thanks for being with us for another great week. See you next week.